Hey, welcome back, listening audience of the Noggin Notes followership. I am always humbled when people download this and listen to my voice and uh, spend time uh, digesting what we have to say because I recognize how valuable time is and the fact that you would choose to carve some of it out and listen to me ramble or interview the people who uh, are exceptional talents throughout my life, I, I think um, is just remarkable. And I'm very humbled by it. So thank you very much for um, making us a part of your life because it's a, it's a big deal to me. Today's episode, I think, is a very special one. Uh, Chris Berry, who's a longtime friend of mine, I've known him for 20 years now, uh, it's crazy to say that, actually, because in my mind, we're still uh, college kids. <laughs> but uh, he shares some really deep wisdom on how to go through transitions or changes in your life. And then uh, we talk about some other things, some parenting stuff and um, some motivational stuff. And he's a really inspiring person. And he's always been a light to everyone he interacts with because he's just a, a very positive person. And before we get started, I want to share a personal story that I have shared with many people, and I only recently shared it with Chris. But back when I was going through a bout of my own depression, uh, circa 2006, we were both coaching track at a local high school here in Reno. And one day I came to him and I said, uh, you know, to his big beaming smile that never really seemed to turn off, uh, it was like a thousand watt flashlight. <laughs> I said, uh, hey, dude, what's the deal with like always being happy? Because um, I get that you're like on fire for Jesus or whatever, but um, help me understand practically how this works. Because uh, you have something that I don't understand, but I would like some of it because I'm, I'm in a funk. And he goes, well, and the, and the smile disappeared from his face and his eyebrows furrowed. He says, I guess I just don't focus on the bad things. Uh, I just really try hard to focus on what's positive and happy. And I was like, really? It's that simple? So I left a little bit confused thinking it could be that easy. And it turns out it's not easy. It is simple, but it's not easy because it takes a lot of practice. Um, but anyway, track practice ended and I went to the grocery store to buy whatever I needed to buy for dinner that night. And while in line, I decided that I was going to channel my inner Chris Berry and be as happy and positive as I could to uh, the the, ch the cashier. And so... Yeah, I get up there and uh, the person in front of me pays, moves on. The gal goes, hey, how's your day? And I said, fantastic, at the top of my lungs with like the biggest smile I could muster. Uh, now, mind you, I'm in, a, I'm in a period of depression in my life. So doing this took a, quite, quite an effort. And in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm lying. <laughs> I am not fantastic. Uh, I am not wonderful. I'm not any of those things that represent the smile on my face. But uh, her head snapped up and looked at me and she said, wow, what's going on in your life that you would be that great? And I thought, uh-oh, I've been exposed. <laughs> so I immediately started looking around and my brain started scrambling for reasons to justify my exuberance. And I, what I came up with was very, very real. Uh, I said, well, it's a sunny day. And we hadn't had many of those because track season is in the springtime. And springtime in northern Nevada typically is uh, more winter than it is spring. I said, it's a sunny day. Um, I, I looked down at my, my sweats that I was wearing that had been given to me by the high school. I said, I coached track around the corner and they gave me these awesome sweats for free. And they are awesome. I still have them to, to this day, 14 years later. 
um, I, I started looking looking for reasons, and they were legitimate reasons. I said, I've got enough money to pay for my groceries today. I'm going to go home and cook an awesome meal because I got taught how to cook really well from my mother. Um, I just have a lot of reasons to be happy. Now, again, remember, in my head, I think I'm lying about all this, except I couldn't escape the truth of those things that I was saying because they were really things that I, I appreciated. It was like literally count your blessings. And she goes, wow, that's really impressive. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk like that and really appreciate the little things in life and something to that effect. And and I said, yeah, well, you know, it's something that I've been trying to do for a little while now. And she didn't know the little little while was like a half hour, (laughs) but, uh, but nonetheless it worked. And as I walked out, um, I, I noticed behind me the people in line who were also smiling. So I had I had actually brought some sunshine to those people's day as well as the cashier. And I I felt like I was floating out of the store. And I thought, man, man, maybe this is really like something that I could do with regularity and change my own mood. Um, so ever since then, that was 14 years ago, I've worked really hard at focusing on the things that I really do appreciate and so even though I, you know, I make fun of like, for example, my own uh, little audio recording studio here, which is basically a, a Yeti microphone inside of a wine box with some acoustic foam <laughs> padding around it, um, it's, it really is something special. Like I, I am able to record a podcast with very minimal equipment and I think it sounds pretty decent. And, you know, that's something that I should appreciate and not necessarily take for granted or bemoan. It's like, Oh, why don't I have a nice studio? Like I don't need a nice studio. I got, I got what I need in front of me and I'm very appreciative of that. And so that's just one example, one small example of how on a daily basis, I try to focus on what's right in front of me and give thanks for it and have an attitude of appreciation. And I have Chris to thank for that. Uh, Chris Berry absolutely made that impact in my life along with so many more impacts that are just innumerable and uh, made me sad that he moved to Illinois from Nevada and I don't get to speak with him as often as I'd like. But I know that he's lighting the world on fire there and that's all that matters. Um, He's bringing life and light to the college students with whom he interacts and I know he's a wonderful father to his four girls and a great husband to his wife. So... Um, that's a little insight into the person I interview today on this podcast. And as always, the podcast is brought to us by Audible. If you have not yet checked out Audible and found out that they have an awesome, overwhelming inventory of audio content, you should do so. And you should do so with a free trial. And you can go to audibletrial.com slash noggin notes to enroll. And you get a free 30-day trial with that. We get a little uh, bonus out of it to help fund things like um, fancy wine boxes with acoustic foam (laughs) around the microphone. Uh, And you get to download a free audio book. And you can keep it even if you cancel your trial inside the 30 days. So audibletrial.com slash noggin notes, free 30-day trial. Uh, Hook us up, hook yourself up, feed your brain, all good things. And as always, I have to mention my company, Zephyr Wellness, which I co-own in Reno, Nevada, uh, and also with a location in Sparks. Um, I, I'm very thankful for that too. For my co-owner, Lindsay, who does so much work behind the scenes, check out ZephyrWellness.org for more information. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our interview with Chris Berry. Enjoy. Well, today I have the great pl- 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 I can't talk. <laughs> Not bad for a guy who teaches communication for a living. <laughs> I have the great privilege of talking to one of my good friends, 
with whom I have uh, I've not communicated regularly because he moved halfway across the country, uh, Chris Berry. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Jake? Uh, it's going really well. I've had a good day, and you and I chatted about that offline before I started recording. Um, Chris and I go way, way back, um, but this isn't about me and him. It's about you and listening to what we have to say, and I want him to introduce himself because he's now in the the heartland, I guess you could say. Um, talk about what you're doing and uh, how you land, ended up landing in Illinois. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty awesome that I get to be here. It's uh, really a combination of my desire to kind of uh, meet people at a place where they really want to improve their lives and um, being in a place where I get to be a part of that and just join with them. And so I started out uh, after graduating college with uh, wanting to be a teacher and a coach, and and then I launched a ministry for student-athletes. And when I was doing that, I got to work in higher education and help a lot of uh, student-athletes, and a lot of them really, for them, they were the first in their family to go to college. And so uh, higher education was an opportunity for them to really change the trajectory of their lives and the lives of like their family and then I was uh, pursuing a master's degree program because I wanted to you know improve myself and I took a college in or a, a course in community college administration and uh, so I learned about the like the mission of a community college being really for access for all kinds of students and uh, it really would attract students who really wouldn't have an opportunity to go to a lot of the different four-year institutions. And so um, I, I was really, thought, you know, intrigued by that. And so I was looking for uh, options at uh, the different, you know, institutions around where I was uh, at the time, which was Reno, Nevada. And um, it was kind of bad timing because I was graduating when we were facing like a $45 million budget cut, I think, to higher education in Nevada at the time, or maybe that was just in uh, University of Nevada, but at any rate, um, it was not the the prospects for jobs in higher education in Nevada weren't as good as other places, and so I did kind of a nationwide search, and I wanted to uh, work for a community college, and so I wanted to also start something new that kind of is uh, in alignment with my skill set, and so at uh, in Springfield, Illinois, there's a community college called Lincoln Land Community College. And they had just gone through this whole self-exploration process where they're like, what can we do better to serve students? And they kind of compiled all these recommendations and said, well, actually, uh, there's nobody really to oversee this or do this, so let's hire somebody to, to do all these, these things. And so uh, that became my position. And so I, I uh, started the retention and student success uh, department here at, at Lincoln Land and actually uh, you know, moved my whole family out here. I have four daughters and my beautiful wife. And so, um, it was kind of like a couple different things, me transitioning from Nevada all the way out to Illinois, changing, you know, uh, occupations, but then also uh, changing the season of my life from, you know, kind of a young man and always interested in adventure sports and, and things like that to kind of, a a little bit more mature guy and kind of going into dad mode and into a little bit more uh, mature career mode too. 
I know you super well, so I can hear you smiling when you say that, uh, changing into a more mature guy. Um, you covered a lot there, and I want to get to it all at some point throughout the course of this interview. But I want to go back and hover over something that you said earlier about the college, the community college course. And you and I both possess degrees in educational leadership. Yours is an EL, right? Is that, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So right. when I went through my educational leadership uh, graduate program, that also was the course that stood out to me. And I don't share this with too many people because it's just not that relevant in, in my world today. But in that course, I learned that community colleges are really, really valuable and they're super critical to most communities that have them because the history of a community college is that it would take from the local trades, basically, and hire its professors or assistant professors who are basically experts in their field, not experts in academia. And they would put them in classrooms to train up the next generation of whatever those people would do, whether it's graphic design or um, you know plumbing and pipe fitting or automotive repair. And I had to change my mind because I was raised in a household where it was like, you go, you go to school K through 12 and then you go to college and college was loosely translated or at least implied as four-year college and two-year college just wasn't even on the radar and if it was it was like well you know that's that's where people go if they if they can't make it into four-year college and we kind of did the little sigh and the take the hand you know hat off the head and put it on our heart (laughs) so it was some like uh, death ceremony to people who just merely went to community college. And then I realized uh, in taking this course uh, far too late in life, by the way, that community colleges are probably more critical to the local education and economy than the four-year colleges are. Uh, they don't t- tend to have the what we call the brain drain, which is people graduate and then leave the community. Um, they tend to give back more. They tend to have easier access. Uh, you don't necessarily need to jump through a bunch of hoops to enroll. And so I just wanted to echo that for the listening audience because I think far too long uh, four-year institutions, uh, particularly through sports, I think, um, you know, that, that's in our present everyday eyeball through ESPN and whatnot, four-year colleges get all the, the glory and the, <laughs> and the prestige, but the, the two-year colleges are really the, the vehicle that make life happen across America. And, and I think they're, uh, they're a little undersold. So uh, a little bit of a commercial there for, for two-year colleges. Yeah, and, and I think it's also important to realize just who's being served, too. Um, I think uh, about half of, you know, a little bit uh, under 50% of the people who are attending higher education attend a community college. Mm. So I think there's a couple kind of cultural elements that are at work that make it seem like it's not like that. Um, mainly, you know, what's depicted in Hollywood and things like that. And so you kind of grow right. up with this this sort of notion that the only way you go to college is you move away from home and live somewhere, you right. know, where there's ivy on brick and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's not the case for over, you know, you know uh, a third or, you know, close to a half of our, you know, the population that's going to college. So um, that's one thing that I didn't realize before getting into it. And the other thing is that there's kind of this dual purpose for community colleges. Um, there's the occupational um, route for you know students who really want to basically just get educated in a specific area where they want to work. 
Um, that could be, you know, nursing, uh, healthcare, could be, you know, computer science, uh, programming, it could be automotive tech, culinary, all these sorts of things. Um, or there's another purpose, and that is really to complete the first two years of a bachelor's degree at a reduced cost. And so uh, the entire gen ed curriculum for a bachelor's degree is available at a community college that's for fully transferable. And so a lot of students, you know, that are going to uh, you know, go to college and they kind of say, ah, I'm not really sure um, I want to make the investment in, you know, five times as much in tuition and fees to take English 101 and 102 or whatever, uh, that, you know, it's a very good, good route. And it provides, you know, kind of a more broad uh, way to, to get into higher education for a lot of families where it's either more affordable, more convenient, um, and it's more in tune with the community like you're talking about, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's not to be overstated. I think, I mean, we really need to, um, I think, embrace that that path to higher education, too, uh, for people to, to do it at a cost savings uh, at a local community college. And also, I want to give a, a nod to the dual credit programs that high schoolers are going through, too. Often the, often they par- partner with community colleges or, uh, or two-year colleges because it's just more flexible. And so as a student, if you're listening to this as a parent or as a student, um, particularly as a parent of an adolescent, check with your local high school to see if they are partnered with your local college or university to do dual credit. Because what you can do is you can accumulate college credits for taking the same classes in high school. And there's some some procedure by which you do this. Uh, but but then eventually what, what happens is once you graduate high school, you can have college credits. And I've known people who graduate high school with the credit equivalent of a uh, of a sophomore in college, which is which is really cool because then you don't have to pay for it at all because K through twelve education is free. It's you know it's I mean some people pay for you know private schools, but it's essentially it's paid for by by your tax dollars. And so if you can take advantage of that dual credit, um, that's that's a great way to to get into college at a, at an even steeper cost savings. So yeah, that's 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 really important. Yeah, and, and they have those, and that's not just like a special program or country um, in the United States. At least you can find dual credit programs with uh, partnerships with community colleges. And what's cool about that is it's not some special thing. Like it's just now you you go you know you pass this class, and now on your college transcript is you know that college class that you took while you're in high school. Yeah. Um, so that was that was really cool, and we just spent like ten minutes talking about <laughs> community colleges and extolling their virtues. Um, but why I had you on was to talk about the like not only academics and the transition here, but the like some of the unique stresses that accompany uh, the students that you see, because you see a broad swath of demographics and the students that you work with. Um, talk a little bit about your own experience. You moved to Reno from the Seattle area, the Tacoma area, and that's obviously a transition, and that requires some some uh, some growth and development and, and mental struggle. But you also played intercollegiate sports. You were a football player. You were quite good, as I recall, and uh, you even got a got a sniff at a tryout with the National Football League, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then. Now you're you're transitioning. You've moved across the country. You've got uh, a wife and kids, and 
you're working with students from all demographics. Talk about some of the differences in struggle, because I think that as we listen to people talk about higher education, it's like, well, you know, money plus opportunity plus good performance in high school equals access. And that's not always true. Um, but what are some of the, the other, like, things to be aware of so that we can kind of normalize the conversation, open the 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 gates to access and then um and then make sure that people aren't aren't super stressed out when they go through this process regardless of where they are in life yeah i think you know what kept on coming up for me um when i was working with student athletes and now i'm working with students in transition from whatever life experience they are to to college it's identity and Hmm. so what typically happens with student athletes is they're at a place where, you know, you're, you're growing up and you're spending, uh, for example, I mean, I would, when I was playing high school football, we would, you know, be practicing, you know, during the summer and then we would have spring practices. And then, you know, uh, the only real break was after, uh, you know, the short time after uh, the season was over and then before we started you know, spring ball. And so it was like this kind of almost year round thing. And I see that is true with a lot of people um, that are at, you know, athletes, especially athletes when they get to the college level. Now it's not just, you know, fall and spring ball and then summer training. It's you now have, you know, a dedicated staff with the strength staff and the trainers and all this kind of stuff. And you're now watching film all the time. And now you're, you know, on a more rigorous, you know, weightlifting schedule. And, and so what ends up happening is you build a skill set around what you are constantly doing, you know, and then you build an identity around what you're constantly doing. And then suddenly, say, you know, you are fortunate enough to, to make it through, you know, all four years and you pass your classes and you graduate and then... Maybe you don't get in, you know, a call from, you know, a, a professional sports team or whatever for, you know, 99% of the college athletes. So right. now there's a big transition. And that transition is, well, I have this skill set. Now, how do I use this skill set um, in another environment? And so that's really what I see uh, being similar here, too, is uh, people have been doing stuff with their life. Um, in the community, out uh, before they, you know, got to college. And they have a lot of experience, and now they are faced with this sort of identity crisis. Like, I know what it means to be a student athlete. I know what it means to be, I don't know, you know, working at the power plant. But the power plant is going to, you know, is closing. So now who am I? You know, I'm no longer a student athlete. Now who am I? And so I think that's that's a piece that I think this is kind of this identity piece that's kind of tied into what you do uh, with a lot large part portion of your life. That's really beautiful the way that you put that. Um, it's I, I guess it could create some uh, levels of anxious distress in people to think about what the transition looks like after they move on from whatever it is that they've identified with doing as though they're being that thing. Uh, but I think it's crucial to pay attention to it because 
I could see that applying in so many so many ways. Like the first thing that popped into my head was uh, veterans. So people who served in the military, for example, they they do their their term, whatever their contract may be, four year four years, six years, um, or even a lifetime, and then they transition out into the business world or or just the non military environment where it's less structured. Uh, you're not being told what to do all the time. It's very similar to student athletes, but you used power company, for example, and there's, there's certainly a, a regimented schedule that's expected of people who are in corporate America. Um, and even if you're, um, like a, a, a checker at a grocery store, there's, there's a culture and an environment. And I love how you said, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but you said there's a skill set that comes along with doing those things. And, and it's like, you know, the, the habits that you form are the ones that you practice and you get really good no matter what you practice. So hopefully you're practicing intentionally and consciously, whatever it is that you're practicing, practicing peace, you know, hopefully practicing love. Um, but if you're just practicing work and I don't mean to say just, I mean, that's, it's, you know, there's no mere comparison about it, but if you're practicing work and you get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home and you do life. And then all of a sudden you're introducing this new thing called you know, higher education, for example, into your life. How do you transition into that? And that's what that's what you do, right? You you work with students uh, of all ages and stripes who are transitioning. How do you help them change that identification? How do you help them embrace a new identity, so to speak? Well, I think uh, it starts with basically just determining where they're at and really helping them identify, okay, what's the situation and, and how am I showing up in my situation and what kind of then support do they need given their desire to move forward and, and what strategies um, are known to be effective in helping them get there. And so that kind of a thing, there's this, uh, this uh, uh, theorist, I think his name was Goodman, and um, he had this four S uh, of, you know, that influenced people's ability to cope in transitions. And it was like the situation, the self, their support, their strategies. And what that's all about is essentially just saying, okay, here's my present circumstance. And then what, how would I like it to be? And given that that's how I want it to be, well, what kind of support am I going to need? And where am I going to find that? And then what have other people done you know, what are the strategies that are going to help me, you know, achieve the kind of outcomes I, I desire. And so just getting clear and listening, I think really helps to um, start to unpeel the mystery. And that's usually where the, the anxiety and the fear and, um, and stuff comes from is because people are unsure they can do it because there's a lack of clarity on where to go get from where they are now to where they want to be. I just looked it up due to the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, due to the uh, advantages of the interwebs. I, I'm not Joe Rogan, and I don't have a Jamie to do this for me. But uh, I just typed in situation self-support strategy, and I got Schlossberg's transition theory. Does that sound familiar? Right, absolutely. The four S's. So it uh, looks like a, a person named Schlossberg came up with this. At least that's what the Google machine returned. Um Talk talk me through the 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 different like the situation, the self, the support, and the strategy in in a little bit better detail. Because what I want to do is trying to you know people are listening to this and they're they're maybe in a place of transition, 
And maybe there's not like a nice, concise, digestible book to go purchase on audible.com. By the way, um, if you want a free 30-day trial, you can go to audibletrial.com slash notes and get that. But if you, uh, if you don't have access to that, how can people apply these four uh, situations, self-support strategy, the four S's, to their own transitions? Yeah, and, and so I think what uh, I usually, and this is when I'm working with students, so usually I'm, I'm asking about the, the trigger, and that's like what uh, essentially caused the transition. So what was it in their life that, you know, gave them enough of a reason to make a change? And then the timing. I like so that. Like, what, what's the, oh, you, you, you had something to say about no, that? No, I, I just said I like that. What, okay. what, what was the thing that caused the transition? That was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is it's like, well, in terms of this kind of the timing, why is this a good time? You know, why is this the right time for you to make this transition to, you know, whatever you're doing to, um, to, you know, going to college, or it could be, you know, changing careers. Um, you know, it could be even just be exploring your options. Um, and a lot of people have varying levels of, of clarity on these different things too. Um, another one, and this is, we're still just talking about the situation, you know, it's, there's right. these triggers that are influencing, it's the timing. It's also, I mean, what's within their control? Like what, what's their perception of what they could take action on? Um, I mean, is this something that is being done to them? You know, for example, um, you know, in the case of somebody losing their job, you know, that they could be in a mindset where they're feeling victimized. They're feeling like, you know, they were going to count on something. And yeah, absolutely. Away from them. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm um, thinking of like domestic violence survivors too. Yeah. Same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, even just divorce too. Like, um, maybe somebody, you know, just left and now I mean, we see this a lot, you know, there are, you know, say, you know, this, this, uh, young woman had a, a dream to be a stay at home mom and her husband left her. And now she uh, has to change her dream. You know, she has to say, well, now I'm, I need to practically, you know, provide the support that I was getting, um, uh, from my husband, I, I need to find yeah. a way to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's, that's real. Yeah, and that, that's kind of related to another one: the role change. Like, um, what what happened? You know, what gain or loss resulted in this in this change? And and that usually impacts the role that a student or that yeah a student is playing. So, and the role is really like not necessarily always a positional thing. You know, it's not always, oh, you're a mom or, oh, you're in this career, but it's what do you spend a significant amount of your time doing and what's changed that now you spend a different amount of your time doing something else. Um, And also looking at kind of like how long do they have? Is is this uh, a temporary situation that they're trying to overcome or is this more of a long-term situation? And then looking at um, kind of what assets they bring, like what previous experiences have they had and what have they gone through in the past, what strengths are they drawing from, and also what kind of other things are they juggling, like what are other uh, concurrent stresses that they, they have. And then 
essentially what are the the things that they're going to look as uh, success metrics. Like, what are the things that they're going to say? You know, I can tell that um, I'll, I'll be successful when these things are present. So that's all kind of the different, I guess, uh, aspects that would describe a, a student's situation or even just a person in any kind of circumstances situation when they're in a transition. Yeah, and that's situation. So we have situation, self, support, and strategies. Tack- tackle self, if you would. Yeah, so now self has to do with this this identity of essentially you have kind of the, uh, oh, the, I guess the personal aspect of it where these are the things that make the person, they, they're the way they identify, you know, and they could be the groups they identify with, it could be you know, uh, cultural implications, it's essentially the way they see the world. Uh, and so that's, you know, I mean, it could be their socioeconomic status, any number of things, their age, their gender, um, even their health. I mean, their health could impact how they see themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And then what they have with them in, in terms of kind of their their resources for coping and like kind of how mature they are, how much, you know, character they've developed and, and how, you know, optimistic or pessimistic they are or their attitude towards life. And so those are the kind of different aspects that feed into the self uh, in when you're considering, okay, what's going to be at work in this transition? And then um, I guess the next part uh, in this, you know, this theory is the support part. And support is really, um, you know, this, the, the types of support people have and then the way it, it shows up, kind of like the functions of support, and then also the way they measure support. Right, right. Yeah, that's huge, actually, because a lot of people, I think, assume certain things. They're like, oh, you got some resources. And they're like, yeah, but I don't see them as valuable, right? Right, right. And and so a lot of people don't realize that they have what they have already. And, and I guess a common thing throughout this is trying to mine for assets and then just also keep an eye for liabilities. So it's like, what do you have going for you and how can we really build upon that and like create an awesome future for you given those, you know, assets, but then also plan for your liabilities so that, you know, we can kind of say, all right, so these are things that may pose challenges as you're making your transition. And so uh, support is one of those assets that it's like, um, it could show up in, uh, you know, relationships as far as like intimate relationships, um, usually and, um, family units too, um, friends, and then also just more kind of like institutionalized support. Um, and so those are usually the compo- components we we look and look at. And then also we look at like, you know, how like how does your interaction with those uh, support systems uh, form how you see the world mm-hmm. and and essentially your prospects moving forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, I I've seen some people who um, maybe see support, but they don't, you know, I already referenced that you know, they, they don't see it as support, but then uh, maybe it's begrudging. Maybe they're not uh, necessarily embracing it. Um, maybe it's, it's support, but it comes with strings attached, right? Um, that might be in the form of a student loan. <laughs> like, yeah, I have it, 
the money, but I don't necessarily want to use it because it means I have to pay it back with interest. And yeah, I could see that uh, coming with an asterisk, I guess. Right, and and then well, that's a good point because a lot of the times this support aspect is part of the thing that's causing the stressors. Ah, so, yeah. They're saying, okay, well, I've had this kind of support, and now I'm planning to lose the support. So a lot of times when you think, you know, looking at the assets angle, you're looking at, okay, what's the stable support? And then the liabilities, what's the temporary or, you know, support that's likely to have some kind of change in this transition? Or even like, yeah, I'm living with my parents, and so I don't have rent, but my mom is um, emotionally abusive. <laughs> like, there's there's warfare going on in the home, and so, it, like, I wish I could get out from under that, but I'm financially strapped. So, you know, it, it looks like support. It looks like an asset, but it comes with this, um, this, uh, this qualifier, I guess. Yeah, and, and, you know, for a lot of students... It's also, you know, if they're coming from a community where um, they're one of the only people in their community to be going to higher education, for example, like, I, you know, I had a, a mm-hmm. student that I was mm-hmm. working with, and all of his friends had no kind of uh, understanding of what he was trying to do in college. Mm-hmm. And so he would go hang out with them, and they would encourage him to do, you know, smoke weed and just chill and just forget, you know, his, his uh, you know, stress and issues and stuff like that. And that's his support, you know. So his support is actually, you know, for him emotionally and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a support, but then also it's a liability because he's saying, man, this is not helping me um, stay on task and, you know, complete my assignments and uh, show up to class on time and, and do these other behaviors that are associated with success. Um, but he, at the same time, he doesn't really have anybody else. So. Right. Yeah, it's not like you can just walk away. It seems so convenient mm-hmm. and so privileged to be like, well, just leave your your quote-unquote friends and be lonely. And it's like, no, I don't really have that luxury. Talk, talk, talk about the strategies because that's that. I think that's my favorite one of all these because, like, it, it actually is where the rubber meets the road. It's like, how do you make this happen, right? Right, and so the strategies really are looking at essentially. It's kind of like the the type of stuff you probably talk about all the time. Um, it's what you do with difficult circumstances and how you cope and how you essentially make positive or take positive action. So it could be like information seeking, um, could be how, and and some of it's kind of related to just like optimism almost. It's like believing that there's something out there. And so um, usually just opening the kind of space for ideas is really helpful for strategies and then leading to a place of direct action so there's, you know, information-seeking strategies, there's direct action strategies, but also, like, um, essentially inhibition of action. So, like, what could, you know... What do you we not do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Taking action. And then um, there's also this kind of notion of having, um, having behaviors that are really aligned with this kind of idealized version of yourself moving forward. And so... Those are the, 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 
the kind of categories of strategies we're looking at when, when you know, helping students in their transition and to really manage the stressors that they're experiencing. And especially at, um, in the community college, what, what I think is really helpful is to let the students see this as a time for them to become what they could be. And I think that really drives the whole, the whole uh, process. That's super cool, and I love that you phrased it that way. Oftentimes I find myself either in session or I'm, I'm counseling, or I should say my, I'm mentoring my students or my, my interns and saying, like, what do you want to be when you grow up or what, do you, what does your client want to be when they grow up? And I, I use that specifically because it harkens to a, a day and time when we were young and dreamy and uh, the world was our oyster, so to speak. And um, so many times we get so caught up in the busyness of life that we fail to stop and say, what, what do I, where am I going? Right. And, and what do I want to be when I grow up? And I think if you, if you apply that pause and just say, you know, where, where are you headed? Um, what's this for? What are you doing this for? Are you doing it out of compulsion or, or, um, unconscious function? Or are you doing it because you really want something? I think that makes people really re-engage and it gives, it gives a hope, right? It, it puts a, it puts a, an end goal to the thing that they're doing. And it's not just, well, I'm going to college to get a degree. It's like, no, this is the vehicle to which I uh, will achieve my my hopes and my dreams, and and it allows people to, I guess, to to settle in and and let their minds wander a little bit, and that and that sounds really, I don't know, encouraging, I guess, to to me at least to my ears. Are do you see that when you when you pose that to people? Yeah, I think something that uh, has it's become a little bit more popular, and I've. I've been using this, and I, I teach a class on uh, essentially a freshman transition class. And one of the things we do is we have this project, and it's essentially like a career planning project. Like, I'm going to plan for my next step after I go to college. And what a lot of students are expecting is, well, what anybody would expect, right? You just uh, you plan it out. You see what the details are. You figure out how much it's going to cost. You know, you figure out all the different, you know, prerequisites and all different, you know, bells and whistles that go into it, and then you plan it out, right? And what I found is that's not very engaging. I mean, it's like this transactional approach where students kind of feel like they're at the mercy of this, you know, system, and they become a cog in a machine, and it, it's just not... Sucks the life out of it. Light them up. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks the life you know, out of it. Yeah, and and so to to frame it in a way where it's like you know there are all kinds of things you could do with your life, and you're teeming with possibility. Let's explore what could be, and then and then going from that kind of a place where it's like man, you know what? There's actually like a half dozen different lives that I could live. There's these all these different career paths I could explore. I mean, I it, it really. Uh, comes from a place of abundance, you know, where you really could create all kinds of uh, of meaning with your life. And, and once they get tuned into that, man, it's really, uh, it, it takes on kind of a different, a different kind of air about it. And I think that's where students really want to be is because they want to say, um, I know that I got to, you know, for example, a lot of students say, I got to get my gen eds out the way. You know, that's a real common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, core, or, core uh, classes. You know, or 
I got a good, a good, you know, a job that pays good or, uh, you know, and there's these different things that's like, we have these ways of, of interpreting why we're doing something, you know, and a lot of them are inherited. And so it's just like, well, we're just kind of parroting back. But when we're given the opportunity to say, what do you want to create? Man, it's just empowering. And so that's what I think, you know, helping people move from a place of something's been taken from me because I'm leaving the I knew and now I'm going into an, an area where I know nothing to going into an area of knowing nothing is just like the price of admission for experiencing what I could be and realize the tremendous potential that I have. Yeah, it's so it's so inspiring to hear you talk like that, at least to my ears. But my ears have been trained to listen for inspiring things. And, and I don't know that everybody's ears have been trained to listen for that. And I think a lot of people who I deal with who have suffered lifetimes of trauma and neglect and abuse, their ears hear what you just said and they hear, um, well, yeah, that's easy to say from your position. Or they hear, uh, you know, something that triggers responses says, if only I had the resources, you know, or, um, or I don't have, I don't have the access that you, you know, or it's, it's easy for you to say because you've already done it. How do you talk to the, I guess, um, the help rejecting complainant to use a, a clinical term, people who hear the help or they reject it and then they continue complaining. That's a, that's a. Uh, a psychological term. Um, how do you work with the folks who are a little bit down on themselves? They don't necessarily have great self-efficacy and they maybe, I don't know if they reject out of hand because they're dealing with college students and they're already there for a reason. Uh, kind of like people who come into the clinical setting, they're there for a reason. They know that there's something greater and they want to chase it. Um, but maybe they need a little motivation. How do you how do you pitch this to them when when simply stating the motivation triggers a fear response of I don't want to go there because it's too scary to go into the unknown. I you know it's more comfortable where I am than to embrace possibility. How do you how do you work with that? That's a good question. I think what is often happening when students are rejecting you know possibilities. It's because they are trying to see where they they have power and hmm. and to identify that they have power already and to a lot of times it takes you know mining those those instances where they've displayed power in the past and then how they could translate that into creative power in the future and so. Uh, for example, I just actually, uh, a student I've been working with, I just saw him uh, yesterday. He popped in and uh, he was one of these you know, students that, man, uh, I want the best for him. And he, he hasn't uh, quite, you know, made the, made the changes that he needs to to be successful, but he is in such a different headspace than he was when he began. And he has a long, you know, a long way to go. But, I mean, he went from a place of, not really knowing the very basic ideas of education. I mean, the, the very basic ideas of, you know, turning work on time, showing up on time, doing these different things that, you know, for many people who are, you know, have grown up in a privileged life and maybe have, you know, been, uh, it, you know, basically, uh, you know, groomed. 